Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Pod. I am Charlie, joined by Reed. Reed, are you in uh, you in finals week yet? How's school treating you? No, our our finals week got delayed because of the hurricane. So well, my oh. school goes till till December twenty first now. Wow, December twenty first. <laughs> That's like some grade school shit, man. Yep. Yep. Uh, they're hitting me pretty hard. We're in dead week right now, and then next week is finals week. But uh, it's finals week as well for this Oregon football team as they head to Utah on Friday. Or I guess they don't head to Utah. They head to Las Vegas, which is close enough to Utah. It's basically the same thing. <laughs> um, we'll give our thoughts uh, a little bit on how that might go. Maybe uh, do some narrative forecasting around that. Reed, you will be talking to Avery in a little bit as well um, previewing that game by the time you're listening to this that might already be up as well so go check that out too um so where do you want to start with this you want to start with this moorhead news yeah let's let's go with moorhead so uh as you probably know if you're listening to this already joe moorhead oregon offensive coordinator will be the head coach at akron next season a lot of people were kind of turning their noses up at this but it wasn't all that shocking of a decision, I don't think. He had been, his name had been thrown around as a possible head coaching candidate for a while. Obviously, he was very successful as an OC in Penn State uh, before getting a head job at Mississippi State. He was fired from that, and then Cristobal swiped him up as one of the hottest coordinator names in the country, if not the most at the time. Um, Basically, I want to get into like what this means for the program. Obviously, it's a negative because I think it's pretty widely shared among Oregon fans that he is a good coordinator. He is good at play calling. He's good at his job. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the offensive limitations are due more to roster than any play calls he might make. Um, overall, I mean, I feel like we kind of had this discussion at the same time last year, right? Um, this is what happens when you're a top program is you lose coaches, you lose the coordinators, especially like the, the attrition yep. that happens when you're at this level is kind of insane. Um, what are your initial thoughts on it? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's a bummer for sure. I mean, just in terms of he's a good coordinator. Uh, but I think, you know, that's, that's what's going to happen. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of an interesting choice for him as well. I think a lot of people are surprised that it is Akron that he's landing at. Um, but my read on that is is I just think that he, he gave it a shot with a big job at Mississippi State and it didn't go that well. Um, and it feels like he maybe just wants to run a little bit of a smaller program, be the head guy, have say, and just kind of get to experiment on offense with the you know and and try it out uh and and have his own spot to do that that he's secure at um and i think akron will definitely be that uh because honestly i mean i have no doubt i don't don't know what exactly he you know may or may not have gotten offered uh this cycle but i think if he had stayed another year especially he definitely could have gotten a better job than akron probably um if he wanted it, but I, yeah. I think it's all right. I think, uh, you know, from a recruiting perspective, I don't think he's that essential to the operation at all. Um, so I think that will be fine. I think he's a really good play caller though. Uh, and it's going to be up to Mario to go try to land another one. Um, 
you mentioned that it is a smaller program. He probably could have gotten a better spot somewhere. An advantage to that, though, is that there is less pressure to place like Akron. Right. Uh, Read off the top of your head, how many bowls do you think Akron has gone to in our lifetimes? <laughs> um, in our lifetime? So what's how about all time? All time. <laughs> I'm looking at this entire school history. Oh, my God. Uh, what? You know, eight? Three. Oh, my Three. God. They have one bowl win in their entire school history. It's the famous Idaho Potato Bowl in 2015. I know that really? was on the tip of your tongue. But um, their former head coach, Tom Arth, was fired earlier this season after a 2-7 and seven record. That was his best record as Akron head coach in three seasons. He started 0-12, then went 1-5 and five and 2-7. and seven. Um, But it is a play. And obviously there's a lot of, like, we're not going to go through all, like, the realignment stuff that's going on in the MAC right now. But there is a little bit more of an opportunity if you were going to resurrect a program like that. It would be right now. He's also an Ohio guy. He's familiar with that area. It, it just made a lot of sense for him. Um, someone, I think it was on Split Zone Duo, or maybe it was Cover 3 the other day, pointed out that like this man has been bouncing all over the country. I mean, we mentioned even the last three stops, Penn State, Mississippi State, and now Oregon. Those are three very, very different parts of the country. So it makes sense for a guy to want to go home a little bit too. Uh, yeah. so to speak, or at least to a more familiar place. Um, so we wish him the best. You know, there's no hard feelings about it. Like you understand a guy just moving up in the industry. Um, but for Oregon, I'm curious, we've seen a couple different names thrown out. Some of them like Chip Kelly in complete jest. I'm hoping, uh, Mark Helfrich, but do you have any like possible candidates that you're looking at just like off the top of your head? We'll obviously dive into this more in the off season and stuff, but as for now, like, is there anyone you're looking out for? Yeah, I think that, I mean, overall, I think that uh, there's a good chance. Well, I, just with all of the coaching carousel that's going on right now, I think that, you know, the name that ultimately emerges for this thing might not be the first one off of people's tongues right now. Uh, <laughs> and just going off of kind of how long the DeRuiter sh- search felt like it took last year, uh, I mm-hmm. think... Cristobal is the type of guy who doesn't act impulsively at all on assistant hires. He realizes how important they are, and he's going to go in and interview a ton of guys. Uh, and I think he's probably going to make a good hire. Um, but I think Mullen is a, you know, Dan Mullen's the first guy from Florida who people say um, is he's probably the best offensive mind, or at least most accomplished on the market right now. Um, mm-hmm. But he's going to have other offers uh whether it's in the nfl or maybe if if uh, alabama moves on from bill o'brien you could maybe see that um that'd be kind of a classic saban rehabilitation move but i think yeah you know overall i think that there there's a bunch of interesting names um that you could go through but none that i really feel like are worth mentioning right now what about you okay that's fair I mean, yeah, Mullen is obviously, like, the biggest name out there, even if he wouldn't necessarily be the best fit. Heard Kendall Bryles thrown around. Yeah. Don't know if that's a good fit either. Um, even a guy like Zach Hill down at Arizona State. I mean, I'm not sure how much uh, help he's done for himself this season. But, um, yeah, I kind of agree. Like, maybe one of the levies as well. Um, those right. guys have been thrown around. But, I mean, I'm kind of with you. Like, I'm not really ready to – do a list or anything like that um it is something to keep an eye on though uh and you know the, there's no rush at the moment either 
Um, considering how, you know, intact the rest of Oregon staff is right now, I, I don't really see a problem in terms of recruiting. You know, obviously, if you're losing a head coach or something, you want to replace him, like, before the early signing period or a deadline. But not, coordinator, not as much. Uh, McClendon pulls enough weight in that department. Um, all right, then. Let's move on to some broader coaching carousel stuff around the country. Damn, bro. I mean, how about this? Do you have any, like, a little bit of, like, insider on the ground um, feels from Louisiana about Brian Kelly to LSU? I think it's super funny. Um, I think Kelly's a really good uh, coach, obviously. He's had a lot of success at Notre Dame. But, I mean, my perspective's a little different than some people's because I don't necessarily think if you win one place, you're going to win everywhere. Uh, I know the, like, fit term has been thrown around a lot and people have had a lot of different perspectives on it. Um, But it definitely, you know, just from obviously living in Louisiana these past three years, like, I definitely think Brian Kelly is a bit of a weird fit here. Um and I'm not totally confident that he's going to be as successful as people think. Because uh, obviously a bunch of stuff about the LSU culture is very different from Notre Dame. Um, and there are all this, all the memes on, on Twitter were pretty funny about, you know, <laughs> Brian <laughs> Kelly trying gumbo. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, I do think it was kind of interesting. It, it always... One sort of psychological aspect I'm always interested in with these coaching carousel things is how a coach, uh, you know, alerts his team to this kind of thing or treats his team and the media, especially during this time. He was asked in a press conference recently um, and he gave some answer about like, oh, the fairy godmother would have to whip up like 250 million or something like that. Wasn't this contract like 150 and it ended up being at LSU? Yeah, so kind of moving the goalposts like there. Maybe that's something to keep an eye on going forward um, with regards to Mario Cristobal. But anyways, uh, he didn't, you know, have a ton of time with his team. So I always think that's kind of funny. You know, he's supposed to be the – these guys are always portrayed as – well, not always, but especially a guy like Kelly. You know, super stand-up guy. Like, he's a player's coach and all this stuff. Like, he really cares about his team. Um, and then he – doesn't pull a full Todd Graham, but uh, it's a little bit close. And then Lincoln Riley, kind of the same thing, obviously, with like just walking out. Uh, and that, and what will be an infamous quote about, I am not going to be the next head coach at LSU. Right. Uh, in terms of what this means for like the national, um, just kind of radar of football, though, like this is a big move for LSU. They didn't maybe get their number one in Lincoln Riley, but they got a like sort of guy on a similar tier, if not a tier higher honestly well it depends on your perception um but a really good name one of the yeah. top five already coaches in college football borderline i'd probably put in like 10 or so but uh a lot of people are really high on kelly i like the point you made though it's really hard to just go in and meet expectations especially at a place like lsu um where you have one bad season or one and a half bad seasons and you're out of a job but uh yeah, man. I think it's going to be interesting. It'll be, if nothing else, super entertaining. Um, it does mean, though, that there's now an opening at Notre Dame, um, and I think Kelly is bringing 
his defensive coordinator with him, whose name escapes me right now. Marcus Freeman. Like a, is that confirmed or yeah. just? Oh, really? I can't remember. I think it was a report that he's expected to. Hmm. But, um, I mean, if you're Freeman, I don't know why he wouldn't stick around in the building a little bit and just kind of <laughs> wait outside your AD's office for an interview. Um, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But who knows? Maybe they go after a guy like Fickle from Cincinnati. That creates more openings again. So we'll see, man. Um, but just because a coach says he's not going somewhere does not mean they're off the board. With that in mind, I do want to talk about Mario Cristobal briefly. He is in Florida, or maybe was, yeah, was. during this week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to visit his mother, so not to talk to Miami, we're assuming. Um, his mother's very sick and stuff like that, so we wish her the best, obviously. But does that raise any sort of concern for you whatsoever? No, it, it really doesn't. Um, I mean, especially because of the reason. Like, I think it would be one thing if it was like, oh, my, you know... Uh, friend has a wedding there or something it's like okay yeah maybe that's like an excuse but I, I definitely don't think Cristobal would make up you know his mother having a sickness as an excuse to uh, I, I don't even want to speculate on that but as an yeah. excuse to go do an interview I think that's pretty ridiculous um, and I think that LSU job being being off the table is good. I, I think that there was a chance that they shifted sites to Cristobal based on the fact that there weren't that many big names left out there, um, and that didn't happen. So I think that's good for Oregon, and I think uh, it sounds like Oklahoma's possibly moving towards Venables, um, mm-hmm. and the Notre Dame job doesn't worry me at all. Uh, yes, I, Cr- Cristobal I isn't a fit there, so... Um, <laughs> Overall, I think it looks like Oregon, you know, Cristobal's going to stay at Oregon, and and it sounds like an extension is in the works potentially too um, that maybe will, you know, include a a big chunk of change for an OC hire because obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, with USC retooling, it's it's a good time to make a good hire. Exactly, and I mean, we've seen guys – Jonathan Smith is the most recent example that's close to us. Um, even, you know, be willing to say, hey, I'm, maybe I'll take a little bit less money if you're willing to spend more into the program and getting right. those guys like OCs and more facilities, which obviously Oregon doesn't uh, lack for cash in that regard. Um, Miami fans are going to say what they want to say to convince themselves. But, I mean, we've gone over this before. We don't need to rehash it like we both think right now Oregon is definitely a better job than Miami. So, yeah. Um, all right. Anything else you got on coaches or should we move on to some final thoughts? I think we can move on. Sweet. Um, final thoughts on this civil war win. Keep saying the civil war, whatever. Um, honestly, as it pertains to this Utah game, I think controlling the ball is definitely the biggest Thing that stood out to me it's not something i kept great track of while i was in the stands uh maybe a bit inebriated as well but um <laughs> it's we we had the majority of the ball in the first half and we i mean i mentioned the long drive towards the end of the game to kill a bunch of clock we also did that towards the end of the first half forcing mm-hmm. osu to throw that hail mary on the final drive instead of doing an actual you know getting an actual drive together I think that the coin toss is a much bigger factor in this Utah game than we think um, and the decision that comes from it. If I remember correctly, when, you know, last week in Salt Lake City, 
I believe the Ducks won the toss and deferred. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I, I do remember that Utah had the ball first, and I kind of thought that was an interesting way to go, considering like the the moment how quick uh, easily the momentum of the game could shift into Utah's hands being at home. I don't usually care about these kind of things, but I would very much like to see the Ducks get the ball first and score first in this game. Um, the honestly, just like from a literal standpoint, having you know starting the game with a score up seven to zero on somebody is a massive advantage again it evens out with kickoffs in the second half but like the way this team works you know we talk about it getting behind the chains on offense all the time and struggling when we get behind on the scoreboard this team really struggles too uh i mean sure we've clawed ourselves back a couple times but again we talked about the momentum last week and utah just kind of snowballed on us um so if we can jump out ahead of that kind of like we did in 2019, you know, just get a score on the board by the time you get the ball back. Um, I mean, you go up 14-0 in a game like this, the other team is kind of up against the ropes uh, with the capabilities of both these um, defenses. So we'll see what happens there. Um, Control the ball, you control the game, and uh, get a bit of confidence. Go out and score first. That's kind of what I'm looking for mainly. So I know that was supposed to be about the Civil War, but it ended up being about Utah. It applies there too, right? We jumped up early on the Beavs, sat on them, didn't really need to do much else. Uh, what else have you gleaned from maybe doing a rewatch of the Beaver game? Yeah, I think it was a good game uh, for Oregon. Um, and so in that regard, I'm excited about it. Uh, but I mean, I also will say I'm – I'm not going to, you know, celebrate it too much. I think that this is a big test coming up and it's an important game. Um, And I think, you know, if Oregon goes out and has a performance like they did a week ago against Utah, that Civil War performance won't really matter that much. Um, Mm -hmm. But I thought it was a great game by Oregon. Um, it was at home, which I think proved again that Oregon is a better team at home than they are on the road. Uh, I mean, I think it was another game that was kind of like a seven-point spread. You don't always win those. Um, and I think the streak that Chris Ball's put together at home and now having clinched another undefeated season at home uh, is pretty impressive for sure. So that's a, I think that's a big positive uh, and makes me confident and kind of you know, that aspect of this team. Um, but ultimately, this is a big game coming up. And I don't know, the, the yeah, the, the Beaver game just didn't really move the needle that much for me uh, overall yeah. about, you know, how it, it, it could have moved the needle a lot if we lost. So I'm glad that Oregon avoided that. But I think that just winning even though it was an impressive win, didn't change a ton about how I look at this season. Um, one thing Mario mentioned, I can't remember if it was in post game or availability during the week, but he he mentioned OSU as our biggest rival right now, which is kind of interesting to me. I don't know if you want to talk about that at all, but it seems kind of interesting to hear that from your head coach especially considering this fan base certainly has different opinions about that. I think a lot of fans would say right now, Washington is still our biggest rival. Does that resonate with you at all? 
Yeah, I think, uh, I think, I mean, in terms of my, like, my opinions on Oregon's biggest rivals, I think Washington is one. I think that USC is probably two for me, and I think Oregon State's after that. Uh, Stanford might even be ahead of Oregon State with recent history. I mean, obviously, that something about the in-state stuff is special, and it gets chippy in a different way and, and that stuff, but, I mean, I root for the Beavs a lot, um, it's fun. It's very fun, and it was fun to be there and kind of celebrate the state and have the teams go head-to-head. Uh, but in terms of, like, who do I feel the most hatred for in this conference, uh, who do I wish to lose the most, it's definitely Washington and USC ahead of them. <laughs> uh, and I'd say I have far more painful memories losing to Stanford, obviously, than Oregon State <laughs> as well. So, Yeah. I would still – personally, I would still go Washington 1, Oregon State 2. Again, just because of the regional part, like you said. Um, yeah. I think it's just much more relevant that you kind of dominate your immediate area. And we don't play USC there, every year anymore. Exactly, yeah. I would throw, like, Wazoo, Stanford in there as well. Like, Utah. It's something we talked about after the last one. Like, yeah, we kind of are developing a rivalry with Utah. But um, I'm not too, like, I, I'm not, I don't care about dying on those hills, you know. Um, all right, man. Anything else from the Beaver game before we move on to some other news? Uh, no, let's, let's go into, let's go into the rest of it. This is our most efficient episode of all time. I think it's not (laughs) even on purpose. Um, injury news. So as we know, there were concerns about Noah Sewell and Mikhail Wright. Uh, DJ Johnson's been injured for a while. All three of those guys are good, as confirmed by Cristobal and as written by Jared Denny of Scoop Duck recently. Um, Keith Brown, we saw uh, out of pads against Oregon State. He is doubtful, I'm going to say. Cristobal said questionable, but to me that means doubtful. Uh, and then Keon Warehudson will also be out. Which of these two, I mean, do either of these guys pose serious threats, do you think? I mean, Obviously, they're more rotation guys than anything. Um, I think for me, like Brown is a little bit concerning against Utah's like physical running backs, but not a ton. What do you What do you think? It. I think Laduke is is getting back to the point where I think Brown is fine. Uh, I'm more worried about Keon Ware Hudson being out. Um, I think that that had a bit big impact in the first one, and I think that he's going to be missed for sure. Um, Especially because of depth, again, and we talked about this at length after the Utah game, but even if you want to say, you know, oh, Christian Williams and Jason Jones are good players, yeah, that's true, but if you get to rotate all those guys rather than have them play, you know, a majority of snaps, it's a lot different. Uh, They're able to be a lot more productive, so I think the key on one worries me the most, but then at the same point, it's like, you know, Sewell and Wright being back is the most important thing by far. Uh, without Sewell, you, you're going to be really struggling if he had been out. Um, and Wright, I feel somewhat that way as well. Yeah. Offensively, it seems like the offensive line is good to go. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we saw a pretty normal rotation. Obviously, Ryan Walk is still not able to play i don't think um any concerns not even injury wise but just in general with with the offense well i think that 
Uh, they can't do what they did last game against Utah, obviously. That's the concern. It's <laughs> yeah. like you, uh, it's nothing specific. They fixed those things versus Oregon State and had a great performance. But, uh, you know, when you get on the Utah side of the field, you have to score. When you get behind the chains, you can't. You know, you have to be able to convert those sometimes, at least threaten to do that. Um, mm-hmm. You have to rush the ball for more than – what was it? Two point something yards per carry. I'm pulling it up. Uh, two yeah, point seven. Yeah, yeah. Can't do that. So all those things are concerns for sure. But I think, like you said um, earlier, you know about whether it's taking the ball or whatever. It, it, just a fast start is going to change this thing a lot. Um, the ball kind of started rolling, you know, the wrong way early in that game. Uh, and Oregon was kind of hanging around, and they kept shooting themselves in the foot with missed field goals and false starts um, and not getting Utah off the field. And then the dam breaks on the long Utah drive, followed quickly by the punt return touchdown, and it was just all over after that. Um, But it could go the other way, I think, too. Um, So, yeah. Um, Yeah, I totally agree. Back to the defensive side for a second. Um, I'm looking at the snap counts from the Utah from the last Utah game, which of course Keon Ware Hudson was out of. Uh, Christian Williams, 56 total snaps during the game. That's probably a career high for him. I can't confirm it off the top of my head. Uh, Suava Poti was kind of the only other guy rotating in at that spot. I mean, obviously, like the Ducks move guys around. Like Doralis will play tackle sometimes and. It's just a matter of gaps at that point. Um, Jason Jones, we saw get 23 snaps. He'll help fill that. feel pretty confident mostly in Jones and Dorless, like getting more snaps than usual at that spot. But um, Kristen Williams is definitely going to be the difference there, I think, uh, along the front seven. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I definitely think it's possible that, again, build an early lead, like just kind of don't allow – too much BS to happen. No stupid punt returns at the end of the half. Um, and again, just like play with confidence that <laughs> we seem totally devoid of any sort of confidence against Utah last time. So I'd love to see that. Uh, do you want to throw a prediction in right now, or should uh, do you want to save it for your talk with Avery? Yeah, I'll probably do it. Uh, I'll, I'll do it on the portion with Avery. But I will note that. Uh, that our guy Josh Pate has has the Ducks winning this one. Yeah, he does. So yeah, the Ramen Noodle Express um, Ducks plus three. I it's I just can't in good conscience like pick this as a win for Oregon, knowing what happened last time. Yeah. Um, I mean, it doesn't make a huge difference to our listeners because you're all Oregon fans, anyways. But uh, I think I'll just go with like. 30, let's say it's closer, something like 33-27 to 27 Utah final. Uh, yeah. I think that's kind of realistic. That'll probably be very close to what my prediction is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it can happen for sure. Um, like we said, you know, it can happen. And, and I think a three-point line, and, and there are smart people who are picking the Ducks, but uh, 
same as you. I mean, I think that you kind of lose all credibility, especially when you're, you know, a fan of a team. If you go from losing <laughs> by 30 to saying, oh, we're going to win. Um, but it could happen for sure. But I, I think. And like, yeah, sure. That maybe that scoreline was a little closer or a little less close than reality of the game. But like, come on, man, we knew that game was over by halftime. It doesn't really matter what the final score is at that rate. Um, all right, let's talk about, I mean, you're going to dive into the game a little more with Avery. So let's just, let's just touch on what this win would mean for this Oregon program. Obviously it's the third straight year of being in the Pac-12 championship game. Won the last two, one of them a dominant win, one of them a pretty solid performance against USC in the Coliseum last year. I mean, is there, uh, I, I want to kind of paint narratives like, based on potential outcomes of this game, right? So, like, what does it mean if Oregon wins this game? How does that change the perception of the program for you? Um, and if they lose it, like, at what point do we say this program is in a bit of trouble? Yeah, I think, um, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say the program's in trouble with a loss. Uh, I think that there's still a lot of stuff to build on. Um and you know but but also i think well it's tough in general the pac 12s down this year uh and it has been for a couple of years so you know i think you want to try to take advantage of that and if you can get to three straight conference titles that's huge um on the other hand i do think utah's a good opponent uh I, i've said i before that i think utah's playing at a top 10 level right now probably um, maybe top 15 but still I think you know they're a good team so if you to come out and you know pound your fist on the table and say it is unacceptable to lose to Utah I think is a little bit ridiculous um, so I'm not going to hit the panic button if Oregon loses but at the same time it would certainly be a statement especially with everything going on at USC to find a way to pull out a third straight conference title and to go back to a Rose Bowl um and build towards you know what is going to be a big season uh, in 2022 and 2023 i think that um i talked about it a little bit on on the last episode but honestly next year and especially 23 is when the title window kind of opens and so i think trying to get a good class in here i mean it's always going to be important to keep getting good class in here um and given all the you know hype that's going to be put out around USC this offseason being able to counter that with okay they can talk about whatever they want but three straight conference champions and you know a three straight new year six uh bids would be very helpful obviously yeah definitely i agree with everything you said i think if this if, if this does end in a loss, in my mind, I'm kind of just going to chalk up this season to injuries. I know it's sort of a cheap thing to say. And again, it could depend how the game itself goes. But I mean, mm-hmm. overall, there's not a ton of narrative shifting that can happen in like the final game of, well, it's not the final game of the season, but you know what I mean. Right. Um, I, I think if Utah wins convincingly, it's just a, 
kind of a case of, yeah, there was injuries. Yeah, I mean, if Utah does win by a lot, we will have had inconsistent quarterback play. So, like, we kind of chalk this season up to that. It could also just be, like, Utah had our number. I mean, we matched up terribly with them, and maybe their tight ends go off again, uh, and we aren't able to really defend that aspect of their offense. Like, maybe that's a sign that we just need to beef up um, – at nickel or maybe not have our nickel get injured <laughs> something like that. Uh, <laughs> so again, if Oregon does win though, I mean, it's just reaffirming at this rate. Like we are the class of this conference right now. Even if we lose, I would still say that like winning two out of the last three conference titles and making the last three, like we're obviously the Kings in the North already. We might as well like, I mean, we're basically like the class of the conference still, uh, even if we lose. Again, man, I, I keep mentioning injuries, but like it's impossible to overstate the amount of injuries this team is dealing with on both sides of the ball and yeah. has dealt with throughout this season. Um, and they're not necessarily excuses. I mean, I, I, want, <laughs> I want the best for their backups and I want everybody to go out and perform. I'm not like... You know, I'm I'm not hoping that they don't or anything like that. It's just you have to adjust your expectations when a team goes through something like this. Um, and you know, it is ultimately it is another sign that like yeah, there is still work to be done in building up depth um, throughout the roster. There's the saying like, good teams don't overcome injuries, great teams do, right? Like, right. This isn't a top top level team yet, one that can overcome again like what is it 15 different starters 15 starters from the beginning of the year in this significant time like it's just tough to overcome that so yeah man we'll see what happens but uh again i'm i'm not it, would you say this is the least invested of the last three conference championship games um like are, are you the least invested in this one out of the last three uh yeah, I guess if you, you know, if you want to put it that way, I don't know. I mean, I'm always invested, so. Of course, it's yeah. Maybe say, a better but... way to put it is, like, is this the least significant in terms of program uh, perception? Yeah, I think that's I think that's totally fair. I think that the first one, I mean, the first one I was so invested in uh, because oh, of, yeah. you know, the whole story and, and Herbert and Die and all those guys obviously uh we know how that went and then last year i think was really validating you know it would have been a lot different to win the conference one year and then um you know the next year have usc just even in a COVID year whatever still for perception to have usc just kind of come back and win it um but now you know having those two under your belt and going 10 and 2 this year um, even if you lose to a good Utah team, like you said, you still, you know, feel like it's Oregon's the class of the conference. So, yeah. Sweet, man. Um, all right. Any, anything else you want to mention at this moment? No, I think with that, we can kind of, we'll just, uh, phase in the interview with, with Avery now. And yeah, I hope people enjoy that. 
Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome back into the Quacked Out podcast. Uh, we are joined by our very special guest, uh, Avery, aka Brave Grapes, over on Twitter. Um, I think that a lot of fans, uh, hopefully, a lot of fans listen to No Truck Stops. We've we've plugged them quite a bit since since this podcast has started and having a few of them on already. Um, I think it's fair to say there's a bit of a friendly rivalry uh, between Ducks Twitter uh, and some of Avery's takes, um, in part because you're you're essentially solely responsible for not just the Utah loss being the head of the student section, but also uh, the Stanford loss, really, because of your vibes call, I think. Um, but it, it's really awesome to have you on. Thanks for having me, and I do take complete credit for Stanford's <laughs> win over Oregon. So, as as you should, I think um, that was that was one of your <laughs> many good calls this season in terms of vibes. Um, but yeah, seriously, you know you you're a great resource, and you know a lot not only about Utah but um, but the Pac-12 as a whole. So that's really cool to have you on. Um, and yeah, yeah. So let's dive into it. Pretty much. Um, since we kind of, you know, both fan bases have seen these two teams play, um, even t- even the fans who don't watch games outside of their own uh, have had to watch both teams. Um, and we kind of talked a bit about, I-, I talked with Greg a bit about kind of specific matchups and introducing people, but I thought we'd, we'd kind of start with um, just how it feels for Utah right now. You know, what, what does this game mean for, for U- the Utah fan base? How do they feel? How does this maybe compare to some of, you know, how you felt going into the past conference title appearances you've had? Um, I think where it stands right now, and I'm not sure if every Utah fan would agree with me, but this really seems like the biggest game for Utah in the Pac-12 era. Um, As for how it feels compared to the other conference championships, um, we were pretty confident in 2019. We thought we had that game in the bag, and obviously we did not have it in the bag at all. Um, people were like getting ready to go to the playoffs. People were buying flights um, to Georgia for the Peach Bowl. Like it was that crazy. But um, this game, I feel like it's a different sort of confidence where in 2019 we didn't get the opportunity to play Oregon in the regular season. There was that huge unknown of the matchup. Going into this game, we beat Oregon by 31 points like, what, 10 days ago? We know, we know. (laughs) That. (laughs) that like provides this sense of security where it's like oh we should win but also Mm -hmm. like if you don't win this game that's absolutely brutal especially since it's your third conference title appearance in four years and it would be your third loss and you've never won the conference like that's this huge burden and I think Lincoln Riley being hired at USC throws this whole other element into it where it's like oh shit is this our last opportunity like our last good opportunity at winning the conference winning the south even you know next year might be wide open but after that if Lincoln Riley does as well as he did at Oklahoma I don't really foresee Utah getting an opportunity like this again and in general like I feel like the conference has been fairly weak this year and there's not an elite team that's untouchable so it's just like kind of there for the taking. So this is Utah's moment to finally win a championship. And, you know, third time, if you don't get it, like I think your ceiling becomes Pac-12 South champion that can never win the conference. So I think it's kind of like 
it's gotten to the point of where it's in need. Like we have to win this game. Yeah, that makes sense. It was, At least that's it was how I feel. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting talking to Greg even, you know, a few weeks ago heading into the first Oregon matchup. And he kind of forecasted, you know, being worried about the USC hire and, and this maybe being the last chance for Utah to win a conference title. But it feels like all that stuff got ramped up to another level when Lincoln Riley was hired. It kind of like confirmed all the possible fears, uh, even more honestly than I expected. I didn't think that they would make that hire. So it kind of was like um, even worse than I could have expected UCS, USC to become. Um yeah, that's super interesting, though. And, and from the Oregon perspective, honestly, I think, you know, it's it's a lot different because um, obviously Oregon had the win in 2019, and that was huge for the program. People cared a lot about that. Um, but then even, you know, last year, it was a really weird year, and Oregon kind of fell backwards into that, into that conference championship. But getting that, um, I think there's, you know, a lot less pressure on this Oregon team, uh, and it's kind of interesting to come in. You know, I wouldn't call us complete underdogs, but um, because we have, you know, a talent advantage and we have a lot of those things. But obviously you get beat by 31. um, You're not expected to win. And I think that we have a bit more of a chip on our shoulder. Um, So it'll be I'm excited for that. Uh, And honestly, I I mean, for me, I would be super excited to see um, Utah play in a Rose Bowl if it wasn't Oregon. So I think it's a it's a big game for that reason. yeah, you know, we, we talked about the first game. Obviously, that's kind of the the elephant in the room, if you want to say, um, because these two teams, unlike 2019, have played already this year. Um, what was it like just kind of that, that day for Utah before we get into the specifics of it? Obviously, you, you know, being involved with it, not only as a fan, but, you know, leading a student section and actually being a part of the atmosphere there. Um you know just what did it mean what was your emotions like with that Utah win uh where does it kind of stand in your program history um and also you know do you feel like there's a rivalry starting um between these teams after kind of 2019 Oregon got their shot on Utah and Utah really repaid the favor this year yeah with the first game it was really interesting because I mean, if you saw my takes on Twitter, I was I kind of had it out for Oregon for a few weeks, predicting upsets left <laughs> and right. Um, I just thought Oregon was infallible. <laughs> but it turned out for me to kind of be the best-case scenario because I didn't think this Oregon team was unbeatable, and they were the third-ranked team in the country coming to mm-hmm. Utah. And if they would have lost prior to the Utah game for a second time after the Stanford game, they wouldn't have been ranked that high, so it wouldn't have been as much of a prestigious win. So it worked out. But... Um, Going into the game, where it stands in Utah football history, um, it's a top three win in Utah history. The other big ones are 2004, we broke the BCS and won the Fiesta Bowl with Mm -hmm. Alex Smith. And then in 2008, we broke the BCS again and beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. And in my opinion, like those are huge defining moments for the program and both led to Utah joining a Power Five conference. So I don't want to undermine them at all. And I would say out of the two of those, the 2008 um, season was definitely the bigger deal because it was just, you know, beating Alabama. That's a big deal. Anyways, Mm -hmm. I I genuinely think that beating number three Oregon is the biggest win in Utah history just because it's 
means so much more because we're in a Power 5 conference now. It's the number three team late in the season, the number three team that beat Ohio State. Like, it, it just has a ton of weight to it. And it also, obviously, that's the game that we clinched the South. So it it really set us up, like, I think, for this next program-defining moment. And it's funny because, like, five minutes ago, I just said this upcoming game is <laughs> the biggest game in Utah history when I think, like, a week and a half ago that was the biggest win in Utah history so this next one might become the biggest you know kudos to Oregon you guys can pat yourselves on the back for that one but it's like it set us up to be at a point that Utah's never been similarly to the BCS busting games so it's very interesting you know it was an amazing game to be at I did not think we'd win by 31 uh (laughs) I thought we'd win I felt pretty confident that we'd win Utah has a really good atmosphere and I know a lot of people rebuke that with oh so does the shoe I mean just because you played well in the shoe doesn't mean you're going to play well in every single difficult atmosphere whatever it it had a really great atmosphere for game day and you know Utah is not a primarily offensive team most of the time so we don't usually blow out other teams um, especially not top three teams in the country so it was definitely a very unique experience and I'm like really happy that I got to be there and you know it's just like I said, it was a program-defining moment that is setting us up for this opportunity to go to the Rose Bowl, which, in my opinion, is like the big daddy because Utah's not going to be a playoff team anytime soon. Right. So, yeah. Um, as for is it becoming a rivalry, this always makes me laugh because Utah fans have this weird obsession with trying to find a new rivalry everywhere. I think it's just like this absolute hatred of BYU fans as people. Um, they want something <laughs> new. Um, so we started like the beef with ASU and so now every time we have like beef with any fan base, it's becoming, Oh, is it a rivalry now? I wouldn't necessarily call it a rivalry. I think that's just going to happen between whichever teams are at the top of the conference and are butting heads, but I definitely don't think there's any love between the two teams or programs at all. Um, it's probably closer to a rivalry than a friendship, but I'm weary to call it a rivalry because I don't want people to latch onto that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think for me, it kind of reminds me of of what the Stanford game was for Oregon in like the early 2010s. Um, It's not like there's a deep rivalry there necessarily, but, you know, these teams are starting to meet in very consequential games for the conference consistently. Um, And I think like a few more years where these results are are really interesting and and one team gets left out of a playoff or loses a conference here or there because of it. it starts to become something, you know, interesting and like a game that you circle every year, um, at least, even if it's not, you know, necessarily a rivalry. But it's also cool because Utah actually has a fan base and Stanford doesn't really. So I think, um, yeah, it, that's kind of been a fun thing um, to actually engage with Utah fans and kind of for the first time since they in- joined the conference, I feel like that's picked up a lot over the past few years and especially this year. Um, so that's been cool. Um, yeah, I think another big discussion throughout this whole year, um, and maybe, I don't don't know exactly what your take on this is, but I feel like sometimes we've differed on it, um, is just like, how good are these two teams that we're talking about? Uh, obviously, you know, PAC 12 is down this year nationally compared to where it used to be. Um, but at least I feel like you know, I mean, I was certainly higher on Oregon than you were for a large stretch of the season. No surprise there. Um, 
but I also think that Utah's a pretty good team, um, especially since making the quarterback change and going into the conference play. I mean, the one blemish now is is the OSU game, and Oregon State, especially at home, is a really good team, I think. Uh, and I know you at least agree with that part of it. Um, but, yeah, just how good do you think, you know, Oregon and Utah are this year? Where might you rank them nationally if you want to go that route? Um, or, or even bringing up the 2019 teams that obviously had that big matchup. How do you think we, these two rosters compare to those? Yeah, I, I'm one of the biggest critics of the Pac-12. I am always, I'm always <laughs> negative about the Pac-12 more than I probably should be for someone who obsessively watches Pac-12 football and basketball. But right. this is a down season, I think, for all of college football, whether mm-hmm. that's because of COVID or other reasons. Like, I definitely think that's obvious that it's a lower caliber, caliber of football than we're used to. So I don't think we should dog on the conference too much because it's like this everywhere. Like, it's, it's bad. So the fact that we have two teams in the top 25 is still fairly impressive. Um, I wish it was more, but whatever. Um, I, I, think they're both, I think they're both fairly top 20 teams. I, I probably would say they're both top 15 teams. I don't know. There's definitely some debate there. I right. think Oregon being ranked 10 right now is a little bit too high. Um, they're getting a lot of credit for the Ohio state win as they should. That's a huge win. And I give them props for that. Um, but it really is like a tale of two teams with Utah, um, post pre camerizing and post camerizing, uh, starting the season with Charlie Brewer at quarterback and going basically one and two camerizing came in at the end of the San Diego state game. And I think if he would have started that game, there's a really, really good chance Utah would have won. Um, but it's definitely a way different team with Cam Rising in at quarterback. I think he just fits uh, the offense better. I think he takes a lot of pressure off of our offensive line because he is more mobile. Um, and I think Utah's really, really matured as a team as the season's gone on, and it's like very obvious that they've gotten better. And I think that's a testament to coaching because we do have a lot of young players that are starting. Um, but I think I think Utah and Oregon are both. I would I would say they're top fifteen teams right now. Um, I don't think they're as good as the twenty nineteen teams. I don't think it's close. I think in twenty nineteen college football in general was a lot higher level than it is this season. And I think those two teams, I mean, they're both top ten teams at one point, right? I think they're right. both much better teams. Um, I'm still kind of have to reconcile with Utah, like I said earlier, being an offensive team now. I'm very used to having a defensive team. So letting other teams score points on you, I need to, like, get used to it because <laughs> that's what happens when your team has, doesn't have a top-five defense. Um, but I think I think they're both really solid programs. 2019 Utah might be the best Utah team ever. Uh, really sad ending to what was an incredible regular season. So I don't really want to compare this team to that because I just don't think they're on that level. And a lot of that's because of youth and inexperience. But I think as much as I dog on these teams, like they're still good teams. They're still top 15 teams, top 20 teams at the worst. And compared to the college football landscape right now, that's very impressive. So we should be happy with that. Like everyone in the Pac-12 should be happy that we have two teams that are up that high. Yeah, I think it's it's such an interesting point just about like the college football landscape right now because it's weird to like look at a sport, especially one that has 
literally 130 teams in it and say like it's a down year for all of them but it does feel that way definitely uh and obviously at the top i mean we only have like georgia's the only team right now that you could really say is truly elite probably um yeah but in general it's it's really weird to i because i agree with you i think that like i think these teams are top 15 teams yeah but at the same time when i compare them to like what Oregon was doing in the early 2010s uh, when those teams were around top 15. It's tough for me to say that these are better than those teams for sure, uh, especially for Oregon. Um, and then, you know, even in 2019, yeah, I kind of was unsure about that. I think earlier in the season, especially like the Ohio State win, um, you know, I've used the phrase like it tricked people uh at times and i've kind of waffled back and forth on it because i think it's really impressive and it's worth giving credit to teams when they go and do that like it's not easy to do obviously um but at the same time i think you know it made people think for a second oh is oregon a top four team and they they aren't you know definitely um but yeah and also you know in terms of rankings and stuff it's it's a tough debate because you have to hold people accountable for what they did and didn't do in terms of a record. But when you match up like the two teams that are going to be playing Friday, uh, I think that you could probably make a pretty good case that in terms of, you know, where they're playing right now, they probably should flip their rankings. Like Oregon looks a lot more like, you know, a 17th best team in the country and Utah looks a lot more like a top 10 team in my mind, um, than the other way around right now. Um, but, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting to see for sure. The losses, our losses are really being held against us, which is rightfully so. But it's so interesting because two of them came in week two and three to teams that are currently mm-hmm. ranked. Um, one of Both of which mostly had a different quarterback that's no longer with the team because he got benched and transferred. So it's like, I feel like a lot of the times the committee will take that into account and acknowledge it. And I feel like they're not really doing that with Utah. Maybe it's just like the Oregon State loss that put us over. People don't give Oregon State enough credit like yeah. for how little talent they have. It's really impressive what they've accomplished this season. And Utah played them in Corvallis. Like I get it if you play in Salt Lake City and Oregon State beats you, yikes. But they're undefeated in Corvallis. They're bo- they're 7-5 and five this season. Like they haven't been bowl eligible in years this they might have the best rushing offense in the pac 12 so i don't know but I, people just don't people don't watch oregon state football so yeah they wouldn't absolutely. know that but yeah it's it's very interesting to see how these teams are playing and i think utah should be ranked higher but it's hard to say that when they have three losses yeah i think it's kind of a weird thing too because you know you say like they lost to two ranked teams and in theory that's what the committee should you know base it off of but it definitely feels to me like Utah would probably be viewed differently if they'd lost to bigger brand names like you know say it's they lost to Michigan State and even like an Arkansas or something that are power five teams versus just the optics of losing to BYU and San Diego State even though the committee yeah. says that they're equal teams to those other teams um it it, you know that's just how it works I guess Um, yeah and that's that's been a huge source of contention among like the fan base and the program is our scheduling it's just been really soft scheduling like 
I'm not a fan of the BYU-Utah rivalry. I don't think we should play BYU. I have no interest in giving them a platform. Um, <laughs> right. And they, I mean, they're going to the Power Fives now, so at least there's that. But it's not like the Big 12 that they'll be in is going to be super prestigious. And then San Diego State's a Mountain West team. So it's like those losses would look so much better if they were to a Power 5 team, even if it weren't like a highly ranked Power 5 team. You know, we play Florida next year, which has turned out to be what looks like a very easy game. <laughs> we go to the swamp to play them. And so everyone's had that marked on their calendars for years, ever since it was announced, just because it's the brand. Like that, even if we lost to Florida, who's a down program right now, it's going to look better than a loss to Oregon State. Right. And even like, I mean, just for the brand of Utah, it doesn't really matter like how bad florida is it's like people in florida are going to watch the game and sadly like it will probably be one of the few utah games they've watched like ever yeah um like that's, that's just goes. yeah that's just how it goes um yeah and uh, oregon actually plays byu next year i think and i feel the exact same way i don't really want to be playing them i mean one it's like i don't think that playing a team that's especially when they weren't in power five that's decent is a good idea from a football perspective and then two like I just hate BYU and like you said I don't want to give them a platform I don't uh, you know I don't want to engage with BYU fans really um, and I guess you know a lot about that since you have to do it every year so <laughs> yeah, um, it's awful yeah but anyways yeah let's move into some of the specifics of of this matchup uh, and what we've seen and, and kind of like I said before, since since I talked with Greg and kind of introduced fans to some of the players on Utah and they already got to see this matchup play out, I'm kind of thinking we'll base things off of what we saw already in the first matchup and just kind of compare, like, what do we think the odds of this thing, this trend continuing or not? Um, yeah, so the first kind of topic I wanted to bring up was the line of scrimmage. I think that that told the story a lot of what happened in the first game. Um, I think that there were some big plays here and there that, you know, swung it even more for Utah, I felt like. But at the bottom line, it was like Utah was controlling that game because of the line of scrimmage, I felt like. Um, and I talked about it with Greg going into it. I felt like I thought Oregon would win the line of scrimmage, and I thought that because of that, they could get a comfortable win. But I said... If that doesn't go that way, you know, Utah, especially at home, has a chance of doing it. And obviously they pulled it away even more than any of us really could have expected. Um, how surprising did you find it in that first time when Utah controlled the line of scrimmage so much? And kind of do, do you expect that that's going to hold up on Friday? Yeah, I was I was a little bit shocked when Utah was controlling the line of scrimmage, um, especially on the offensive side of the ball. 2016 was kind of the peak of our offensive line, I would say. We had a lot of very talented guys, including Garrett Bowles, who's now the starting left tackle on the Denver Broncos. Um, and since then, it's just felt like every single season has been trying to figure out who is our offensive line and trying to figure out just an identity there. And preseason feel still picked us he put us in his top five offensive line units and I think everybody was like a very shocked by that and everybody loves to talk about the quarterback change with Utah and how different the teams looked but I've been very impressed with how much the offensive line has involved they looked 
super rough at the start of the season. Um, Everybody was very upset about it. And over the course of the season, and I think obviously quarterback play has helped a lot, they've become one of the best pass pro offensive lines in the country, which is super insane for Utah. Uh, We are a rushing offense primarily, and they've just improved their play a lot. And I think, like, going up against Oregon, that was the pinnacle of that. You know, if you can control the amount of talent that Oregon has on their defensive line, that's absolutely incredible. Like, Kayvon Thibodeau is there and usually, for the most part, unstoppable, even if you throw multiple guys at him. And Mm -hmm. the way – Utah schemed their blocking and including their tight ends it was just impeccable like it was beautiful to watch and I I think just really well done with the coaching staff and you can tell the offensive line itself has meshed together better as a unit as we're on the defensive side of the ball um, it's definitely been one of the position groups that I've been wanting more from this whole season is our front seven well the linebackers are fantastic all the time but definitely our our defensive tackles and our defensive ends. And wow, I just think they've really, a lot of it's youth too. But I think they've really catch, caught their stride and playing at home against Oregon definitely helped with that. I will say that definitely helps a defense when it's loud and crazy for the offense. But I was very impressed with how Utah controlled the line of scrimmage. And it you could tell there's just a very good game plan for that. Um, and it's funny because in 2019, that's what ruined it for Utah. That's right. that's where we lost the game. I mean, that's where you win or lose every game. But it was <laughs> very clear as day Utah lost <laughs> control of the line of scrimmage early on and they never got it back. And that is what happened in that game. It was Kayvon Thibodeau masterclass. Um, but going into the game this upcoming Friday, I expect Utah to have a very good game plan still. Um, I'm super confident in our coaching staff but I don't think it's going to be as easy as it was our first matchup obviously it's not at home it's a neutral game which is a home game for nobody those are quiet games Um, and Oregon kind of got slapped in the face so I'm sure they're coming a little bit more prepared this time around Um, I yeah so we'll see how that goes I still think Utah will win just because it was such a dominant performance you know I keep saying this, like, I want to be more pessimistic about this game, (laughs) but it's so hard after you beat a team by this many points to be like, oh, but what if we don't lose? (laughs) What if we don't win? So I I definitely think uh, I'm I'm more confident in our offensive line than I am with the defensive side of the ball. But I've been very pleased with both position groups uh, towards the end of the season. Yeah, I was – it, it was so – I mean, it was just – I hate to say it, but, you know, kind of pretty thorough domination up front from Utah in the first matchup. Um, and it was kind of, you know, we thought that Kayvon would maybe be able to replicate what he did. Uh, but it, there was also the thought, you know, okay, maybe Utah puts a ton of extra attention on Kayvon, but if that happens, we're going to have other guys who are able to break through and, and do something. Uh, and it just never really materialized. Um and I, I liked your point a ton about, you know, Utah's – it's so funny because Utah's offensive line was getting a lot of hype going into the year. Um, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, like, how college football kind of works with, with fans especially is it is all, like, comes down to these snapshots of teams. And it's like 
people thought Utah was good. Then they saw BYU and San Diego State beat them, and they kind of said, okay, Utah is a bad offensive line. That's what they are. And then they didn't tune in again until the Oregon game. Um, and, it, yeah. and, and then everyone got slapped in the face, including Oregon, obviously, and our fans, uh, by the fact that, you know, teams actually steadily improve from week three to 10. And, <laughs> Crazy how that happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's funny because, I mean, you could have probably seen it by the fact that in the preseason, like, people thought highly of them for a reason. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they put it together here. Um, and it, it was it was super impressive. I think the hope for Oregon is, is like you mentioned, you know, playing at a neutral site does hopefully minimize some of those things a bit. Um, but kind of playing off what you said, I mean, for an Oregon fan, it's like, you know, obviously all of us want to be somewhat positive or I think maybe we have a different philosophy than you because we've won up a lot of these games. So I think we are kind of lean on the overconfident side. Whereas Utah fans are maybe preparing for the worst, don't want to get too high on it. Yeah. Um, but even for me, it's like, you know, how do I possibly maintain any shred of, of credibility if I pick Oregon to win after losing by 30? Um, you know, so yeah. I think it's one thing to say, like, yeah, Oregon probably will perform a bit better on the line of scrimmage. But at the same time, you know, it, they didn't lose by five at Utah. So how much of that can they make up? Um, another big factor I felt like in the game, in the first game, um, was Anthony Brown. And I know you're going to have a lot of opinions on this probably, but Utah, it felt like to me, was was daring him to make throws all game. Uh, I was, was sad not to be there in person or have that many Oregon fans in there in person because a big thing all season for Oregon fans has been like, we didn't get the camera angles on the TV. We don't know what's going on downfield. And fans are always like, throw the ball, throw a deep shot. Um, and so I don't know how many wide open guys there were, but we saw a few glimpses here and there where it's like, it looked like AB had a throw deep that he didn't make. Um, and it felt like Utah's game plan was kind of to dare him into taking those shots and he didn't really do it. Um, do you feel any, you know, does any part of you feel like, I don't uncomfortable with Utah giving him those opportunities again, um, where if he does have, you know, one of his best games, there are going to be guys there, or are you just, you know, n not going to be threatened by Anthony Brown ever? <laughs> I, I'm very low on Anthony Brown. I do not <laughs> think Anthony Brown is a good quarterback and I'm very um, loud about this. So I'm glad that Utah's uh, <laughs> coaching staff saw it too in their film reviews but it's really interesting situation because I think a lot of the reason Utah employed the defensive strategy of giving Anthony Brown an opportunity to like attack deep is because Utah jumped out to a decent head start like that's that's how you beat um, teams that are much more talented than you in my opinion is you have to punch them in the mouth and get the lead mm -hmm. um, especially this Oregon team who's just not good at chasing points so where mm -hmm. they rather run the ball because I think Travis Dye is a little bit more dependable than Anthony Brown um, <laughs> they can't because they have to gain all these points back so you want to throw the ball and I think Utah schemed for that and and I was there and there were opportunities to hit <laughs> deep shots on most yeah. most snaps um and i i think he just i think he's not confident in his ability to throw the deep ball um he got a few of them but it just felt like he wasn't taking the shots 
that were there. I, th- I think he just kept doing these short throws because it was, I don't know, easier for him, um, which is super frustrated if, frustrating if you're a fan. But at the same time, like if your quarterback's not capable of making those throws, you don't want him to because it's either going to be a terrible throw that's incomplete or maybe one of Utah's defensive backs makes a play and picks off the ball. Um, going into this next game, I don't – know how good I feel about with Utah giving Anthony Brown as much freedom um, to throw those balls as they did because I think Oregon will prepare for it more I think it definitely showed in the Oregon State game Um, and obviously Utah's defensive backs are on a different caliber than Oregon State's I don't think that's an argument they're much more talented um, and well better coached Uh, but still Anthony Brown looked pretty good against Oregon State and maybe they'll prep him to throw the ball more which would be kind of scary if he hit a few more of those throws it could have been a completely different game if Utah hadn't jumped out to this massive leave early um so I I hope they don't give him as much freedom but at the same time like I think that is a very smart thing to do because you know he's not capable of making those really big plays um, I, I don't think Oregon should be depending on Anthony Brown if they can help it, but if Utah jumps out to a lead, they might have to. So we'll see. I don't know. I'd, I'd feel really, really bad about myself if we lost this game because Anthony Brown, a quarterback who I've been shitting on this entire season, <laughs> decided to go off. So we'll see. Maybe I just spoke that into existence. Hopefully not. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, honestly, yeah, he did hit some, like obviously the Devin Williams touchdown to start the second half. But the issue was he didn't hit any when the game was still in the balance. Like the game was over by the time you started throwing any of them. Um, And honestly, like in part, I will push back on a little bit of what you said. And like, I mean, it depends what who's winning at the line of scrimmage. But you kind of said like, Travis Dye is more dependable and you want to get him into it. But I also feel like that was part of the issue with Oregon the first time in the first game. They kept kind of, well, I mean, they didn't go to Travis Dye exactly, but they weren't taking any risks while the game was still going. You know, it, they kind of like played it a bit too conservative and slowly let Utah kind of open things, open up a big lead. And by the time they yeah. were like, okay, we'll take any risk, we'll take any big shot, the game was already over. Um, and so mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, I'm, I'll be interested to see what happens, how Oregon approaches it, because I think part of the thing with our coaching staff is they're kind of like perfectionists. They kind of assume that they're able to beat every team and they just want to execute the small things well. Um and they feel like if they like stick to that process and do everything right, they're going to be able to control games. And when they don't, like you said, they don't really know how to dig out of those holes. And so for me, it's yeah. like maybe y'all have to realize that Utah might be the, you know, probably is the better team right now. And that is going to require you to maybe push the envelope a little bit. And, you know, maybe you have to take a shot with A.B., when the game is still in the balance because if you don't you don't have a chance to win um yeah. so i'm interested to see what happens you know and like you, i think there's reason to think ab could be a little better because it's a neutral site 
and you know it's in a I think it's in a domed stadium so I that helps the quarterback a little bit but yeah yeah we'll see I mean Oregon's clearly the more talented team here and I know you guys are a little bit sparse at wide receiver but you still have talent there like you're Mm -hmm. the guys you have playing wide receiver are still talented um we do have talent in our secondary but they're inexperienced they're young guys so if you trust your wide receivers to make plays like why aren't you using them I did I did feel like it Travis I only got like seven touches in the game right right? yeah that that was shocking to me I feel like they went away from the run way too early yeah yeah it was so frustrating all around Uh, to not to not run the ball and also at the same time not take shots it's like it seems like it's hard to accomplish what are you doing yeah yeah (laughs) but that felt like what Oregon did for an entire half pretty much um so yeah I mean yeah like you said I mean they didn't Travis I didn't get that many touches you're 100% right about that but even when he did I mean Oregon rushed for 2.7 on the game um so I don't know to what degree they shifted game plans early or or whether they thought that you know what they were doing was a good idea but it it didn't work out clearly <laughs> um well yeah, yeah a lot of a lot of the rushes were anthony brown though too right. like i feel like they were scrambles because he didn't want to take the shots so it's like if anthony brown's gonna end up just panicking and trying to get a yard or two might as well just hand it off to your running back yeah i definitely agree with that um i don't know it just depends if I'll be interested to see what it will be, how just how Oregon comes out in this game, honestly, um, and whether it's whether they're focused on establishing the run to what degree they believe that they can. Um, yeah, it'll be super interesting. Um, just in general, kind of looking at matchups too, um, having talked about kind of line of scrimmage and A, B, and stuff, you know, another big thing that, honestly, I did eat, a fair amount of crow on this one because I kind of downplayed the Utah tight end advantage. Uh, and I, to be honest, I mean, I'll stand by part of it in that I do think that Utah fans like talk about the tight end room a lot. And really, Keithy's the one that scares me by far the most. <laughs> um, but Keithy absolutely torched Oregon. Uh, and that's a bit of a trend uh the ducks did all right against it in the shoe against a pretty good tight end um but even last week uh oregon was not good at defending the tight end at all they gave up uh a bunch of yards to musgrave who's i mean he's solid but he's definitely not keithy um in terms of you know a top tight end so that was really worrisome. Uh, if there's a hope for Oregon, it's, I think, just that, you know, in terms of that matchup, just that they're motivated that some guys, you know, at nickel and safety take it really personally. Um, but, yeah, I'm not I'm not super high on that. Uh, is there kind of a similar, you know, thing, maybe uh, whether it's a weakness that, you know, that you are worried about for Utah or just a matchup that you're looking at? a lot heading into this game 
Well, I'm, I'm really interested in the tight end matchup, Utah's tight end matchup with your defense. Um, I guess I'll prove your point. I think very highly of Utah's tight ends. I think Utah is one of the best tight end rooms in the country, and it's because they have like three very unique tight ends that do different things and do them very well. And I think that was very apparent in the Oregon Utah game. You know, mm-hmm. you mentioned Brant Keithu, who in my opinion is our best tight end. He's, he's not a traditional tight end. He plays really well in the slot. He's super quick. And I think he creates just a lot of weird mismatches. He's hard to cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Cole Fotheringham, who's a traditional tight end. He's very good at blocking. And then Dalton Kincaid, who's just, he's a deep threat like what tight ends are deep threats it's insane and so I think the three of them together just makes it really hard to game plan for and Oregon did not game plan at all for um Keithy the way it looked anyways he was always open um so maybe it is just how the team is you know Matt on our podcast thinks that Oregon's just terrible at covering tight ends um, which you mentioned with their last game against Oregon State um, for other matches, I'm interesting in, oh, man, just Kayvon Thibodeau versus everyone, I guess. <laughs> you know, Utah gave him a ton of attention, rightfully so. He's right. an elite player. He's a top five pick, probably. He might be the best player in our conference. If I don't know. Drake London, I hold in a very high esteem. But <laughs> you have right. to give him attention when you're scheming against him. Like, if you don't, you're an idiot. And so they had guys chipping him all game, like those tight ends. I feel so bad for KT because those tight ends were giving him quite the time of day. So that's I'm really interested to see if he can get going in this game because, in my opinion, he was the a primary reason for the downfall of Utah in the 2019 conference championship. So I have like a lot of PTSD there. Um, <laughs> for other matchups, I'm really interested in. I guess I think it's just what we mentioned before: is Anthony Brown versus Utah secondary. Like I I genuinely wonder if he not only if he will like obviously that's a question if he'll attempt to make the shots I think your coaching staff probably laid into him a lot after that game because it was very clear your receivers were ticked off during the game yeah, um, definitely. but if he can I don't know if he's capable of making those big plays I think he's been really on and off this entire season but if he can that would that would be a pretty big game changer in my opinion yeah, I, it definitely would be a game changer. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I heard Matt's, Matt's spiel about Oregon being bad at defending tight ends. And like I said, I, I mostly agree with it. Um, I think it's kind of like a it's kind of a more general problem with the Oregon defense that it like happens to be that tight ends are really good at exploiting it, I guess, uh, is mm-hmm. that Oregon like gives off, off, up a lot of medium range yards. Uh, and likes yeah. to tighten down in the red zone, but they will give up a ton of yards. I mean, just look at Ohio State's yardage total, like an absurd amount of yards for a team that only scored 28 points. Um, and so when you have a tight end that's really good at finding that weak point in the defense, they're going to gain a lot of yards. Uh, and Keithy was, you know, turned out to be a matchup nightmare in that regard, and a lot of tight ends are able to do it. So I agree with the point, but it's like, it, it applies to a receiver who's really good at it as well. Um, it's not as much yeah. of like a body type, you know, tight end matchup problem as it is um, just like the structure of the defense, I guess, I feel like. Um, yeah, so in, in general, I kind of, the other thing I wanted to do was just pull into like, 
um, you know, kind of we talked about that everyone knows Utah won by 31 points, like a huge, huge victory. Um, but I think it's, you know, it is helpful to kind of like dig into it and say, okay, how, you know, is it really that big of a gap between these two teams, I guess? I'm not going to sit up here and say yeah. that Oregon was the better team after we got blasted by 30. Um, but just kind of like, where does it actually sit? Because, you know, I poured over, of course, you know, in classic fashion, the first half tape and tried to find all the little excuses I can. You know, the two missed field goals for Oregon sucked. Punt return at the end of the first half obviously was, you know, pretty brutal. Um, and, it, you know, an instant of, I'm sure most people will point to, you know, horrible crystal ball game management. And I will, you know, it, it definitely was. But it also is like, how many times do you get in the situation where you're punting the ball there? More when you have crystal ball as head coach. But still, you know, it doesn't happen every game. And not reliable points, I guess. Um, and on the other side, I think one of the things that was interesting talking to Greg a bit was, you know, one, Utah special teams has been a really bad unit all year, pretty much. Um, you know, if you would have if you would have guessed which team had had, you know, lost 10 points or something on special teams going into the game, it's probably you would have guessed <laughs> Utah. And also, I, yeah. I felt like even, um, you know, just the the center to quarterback exchange has been something that Utah's been a little dicey with this year. And in that game, Rising had a few ones where it, you know, it felt like he was flirting with disaster a little bit, um, but none of those ever really broke, you know. Um, but anyways, with all of that, with home field turning to neutral field, kind of, you know, how how different do you think these teams are? How I guess repeatable do you think the first result is for Utah, you know, or to what extent? Yeah, it was definitely a closer game than the score indicated. I It wasn't a close game, but it was a closer game. Um, punting to Britton Covey, who's like a, a <laughs> punt returner that's held in high esteem at the end of the half, is is an interesting choice. Um, especially after Kyle Whittingham calls a timeout. Like, <laughs> yeah. after that, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's terrifying. But Utah special teams, oh my gosh, this has been like the story of the season. Utah has been known for having a good special teams. I know nobody ever talks about who has and who doesn't have a good special teams, but like, take my word for it. Utah's always has a top 15 special teams unit. It's like coach Winningham's pride and joy, I swear. And this year, I think we're like 120 in SP plus right now, which is just abhorrent. We've had so many blocked punts. We've had multiple punts returned for touchdowns, kickoff returns for touchdowns, missed field goals, missed extra points. We've had the whole thing. And that was something I found really interesting in this game too, is that didn't show in Utah versus Oregon the first time around. Utah blocked a punt. Utah scored a touchdown off a punt return. Like, very strange for a team that has had woes with uh, special teams all season. And I definitely don't think that's going to be something we can rely on. So I try to erase those points when I think about it. Like, oh, it was more like a 20-point win, 15-20-point win. Um, mm-hmm factor in that Utah might get a field goal blocked or something I don't think that can be expected in this upcoming game Uh, I don't think Covey will get another punt return for a touchdown I don't know if Oregon will miss a field goal I I believe your kicker that's like their first field goal miss right wasn't it yeah 
it's a little bit complicated relationship we have with our kicker because he had a really bad uh, 2019 and 2020 season and got benched. But then he had a good off season oh. and got the start back, and he's been really he'd been really good this season. But of course, as soon as those got blocked and then he missed one, everyone was like, "Oh, it's back with the old Camden Lewis. Yeah, he's back, everyone!" Like, so yeah. But he's been good this season. Yeah, I, yeah. In a neutral game, I don't I don't think it's going to be the same situation at all. And I oh I don't know how many points better I'd say Utah is. I I don't like predicting this because I'm always wrong and then I look stupid but I think this is I think this is a one score game I think this is going to be a one score game because it's at a neutral site you know Oregon's probably going to care a little bit more I have this stupid theory that they're going to play better because Mario Cristobal is stressed about recruiting with (laughs) a new top recruiter coming to the conference because we all know that's Mario Cristobal's favorite thing in the world is to get up for recruiting. So that's a big deal. But also a part of me thinks that Oregon's upset that they're not in the playoff conversation and you guys have been to the Rose Bowl. You guys have done that. So maybe you don't care as much. Whereas this is like the peak of Utah's existence. So we'll see, but I'll say it's probably going to be a one-score game, maybe 10 points. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'd be a lot more worried about motivation if, like, if Utah hadn't been the team that beat us by 30, you know? Like, if if we're, you know, let's just say we're playing Arizona State right now and we got waxed by Utah already and the playoff hopes were done and we'd been back-to-back Pac-12 champs, like, yeah, I think that there would be more of an issue, but I do definitely feel like, you know, that Oregon has a chip on their shoulder, obviously, and, like, got embarrassed at Utah as the number three team. So I definitely think these guys will be motivated, but, you know, people say, like, there isn't a game plan switch for being pushed around. Um, and, I, and I honestly think, like, you know, if you look at power ratings and stuff, these teams aren't, like, in general, I think that they're – you know three to five points apart in terms of like who they how they play other teams but i also feel like with this matchup i I mean it obviously showed in the first time is like good for utah so i think that you know well you'd like average power rate them probably like four points apart i feel like making a line for this game it's more like seven to ten points in my mind in favor of utah because of like the tight end matchup and because they showed they could hold it on the line of scrimmage and they you know unlike in 2019 know how to game plan against kt pretty well so yeah Yeah. we've learned (laughs) yeah yeah unfortunately i know i was i was definitely hoping that that was going to be what kind of like i was you know, going into that game and especially, I got to be honest, like turning on the TV and, and seeing Utah crowd, it was kind of like a holy shit moment. Like there was just something in the air, it felt like in Utah. And even like seeing some of the people from, you know, some of the Utah fans I know tweets out like, oh, I'm so ready for this game. I was like, holy shit, this like this feels like a program defining night right now. Uh, and it like yeah. turned out to totally be that for Utah. Um, and so like I was tweeting out before the game, I'm like, okay, like, yeah, all all this stuff, but like, how do you get past home field advantage? Like you just got to lean on the lines of scrimmage, like just run the ball, just like have KT bail us out. Like, that's what we got to do. 
and none of that stuff happened. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I was, I was pretty gruff, but, um, yeah, so kind of, we'll, we'll wrap it up here, but, um, one question I like to ask is kind of like, what point range do you feel like this game's going to be played in? Is this kind of like a, you know, is it a low scoring slugfest in the 20s, it's high scoring in the 40s, whatever, you know, where do you think it'll be? And if you want to give a specific score prediction uh, or say anything else about Utah chances, you know, go ahead. Ooh, yeah, Utah's defense is the worst it's been in a few years. It's still fine, but definitely not up to the regular Utah caliber. So I definitely expect Oregon to score in the 20s at least. I don't think they're going to have as bad of luck scoring as they did in the first time we played. So I expect 20s, 30s. Utah, I expect them to be in the 30s again. Um definitely think they'll be closer I guess if I have to give a score prediction I would say ooh 31 24 maybe yeah maybe that feels right I think it will be within two scores but I think Utah will still be in the 30s we'll see how that goes I guess like the path to victory is controlling the line of scrimmage again and making sure that Kayvon Thibodeau is handled. Um, I don't know if they'll handle him as well as they did, but have something in control of that situation somewhat. But also I think Utah does really well. I kind of mentioned this earlier when they play talented teams, you have to go out and you have to score first. You have to punch them in the mouth. Like if you get left left behind, it's going to be really hard to come back from that. Cause that's when you're prone to making mistakes and you have the smaller margin of error. And you know, like if you're trying to gain back like if Oregon's ahead and Utah's trying to catch up with them it might make Cam Rising do something stupid like drop a snap and you have Kayvon Thibodeau you definitely don't want to drop a snap against Kayvon Thibodeau so Utah needs to go out there and they need to score and they need to score fast and they've been really successful at scoring on their first or second drive this season it's actually something that made me laugh when they played when Oregon won the coin toss and deferred I was like that was a stupid decision don't do that but Utah needs to score they need to score fast and they need to play the same energy that they played in the first matchup. I've really liked this this season because Coach Witt hasn't been going super conservative, and I think it's because he knows he can't depend on his defense as much as he's used to. In the past, it's like you're up 10 points, you run the ball the whole game, and it's infuriating to watch because it's like that's not a big enough margin to just be running out the clock in the second quarter. So score fast keep scoring don't let your foot off the <laughs> ass and keep it up with whatever the tight ends are doing to cave on Thibodeau I think that's the path for Utah don't do any stupid special team stuff please I cannot <laughs> take it that would be mortifying yeah it's funny you said 31 24 and that was the same score I had um oh, okay <laughs> yeah yeah I think I think it I think that makes a lot of sense um Honestly, I mean, you look at the first game, like Oregon did in the first half get inside the 30 of Utah, like I think two, maybe three times. Um, so they had yeah. a shot there to put up some points and just didn't do it with the missed field goals. And, you know, we've been over that whole thing. But um, 
Yeah, I agree with you, you know, pretty much like same prediction. So a lot of the same logic, I think. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the coin toss because that's actually something I was talking about uh, with my co-host Charlie earlier was, was he was saying, you know, I think maybe they should actually receive if they get the coin toss. And I was like, usually I'm a team defer kind of person because, you know, I'm like, whatever happens in the first half, at least you can always rely. If we get the ball at the second half, we can yeah. get ourselves out of the hole. But I kind of, the more he was talking about it and hearing you say the same thing, uh, I think it's really interesting because I definitely, with how this Oregon team is, and it seems like the same way for Utah, getting an early lead is big. Um, and we saw that last week yeah. for Oregon against Oregon State. I mean, I felt that way even more strongly versus them was like, if we could get up early, we'd win. And that's pretty much exactly what happened. Um, but obviously Utah's a better team and also a neutral site. So yeah, I, I have to pick the Utes to win, unfortunately, um, given that they already won by 30. Um, but I'm excited <laughs> for this game. I think it's going to be a lot of, I think it's going to be a lot of fun and I hope that I'll be a little closer. Uh, I think it would be cool to see these teams, kind of trade some blows uh either way um and just kind of see both these teams you know utah played a great game in the first one i'd like to see what they look like against an oregon team that's playing a little better and just kind of that would be a fun matchup to watch but i'm sure that you probably don't want to be sweating that out all friday night you know what you can keep it close as long as you let us go to the Rose Bowl. <laughs> I cannot do I cannot do another loss in the conference championship. I think I would officially be broken. Like, oh my gosh, twenty nineteen was the worst day of my life. That game was awful and I can't I can't experience that again. So keep it close. Oregon can keep it as close as they want as long as they <laughs> still lose the game. Yeah, yeah. Well, sounds like thirty one twenty four would, would fit that description for sure. Um well, anyways, I think that pretty much wraps us up. I, I don't have anything else. Is, is there any other big things you wanted to mention? No, I, I don't know. I just I really hope Utah gets to go to the Rose Bowl before Lincoln Riley becomes our um, overlord, <laughs> as Greg puts it. <laughs> right. Um, well, yeah, I'll definitely – I can't speak for all Oregon fans, but I'll definitely be rooting for the Utes if they do make it to the Rose Bowl. Uh, I, I would be fun to see them there for sure. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on Avery. Uh, I've given this plug multiple times now with Carlos and Greg on, but no truck stops is awesome. It, it's my favorite pack 12 football podcast for sure. Um, you all four provide really interesting, different perspectives and, and then all the bits you do with you being kind of, you know, the vibe person and, and, um, <laughs> <laughs> the sickos game and all of that it, it's it's all like so so pack 12 uh and that's really cool because like all the national media we have to deal with and stuff so many people don't really understand this conference i feel like and the four yeah. of you really do so uh it's been super fun to to get to know you guys and to listen to that podcast so i recommend everyone to check it out um like i said yeah thank you so much for coming on hopefully you know maybe in the off season or whatever it is uh, we can have you back on and talk some Utah or whatever. But, um, yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a ton of fun. All right, let's shift our focus now to the broader conference championship weekend. Just talked about Utah and Oregon quite a bit. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that the SEC title game is the most consequential regarding the playoff and just, I mean, college football in general. Um, Oklahoma State Baylor poses some interesting stuff. 
Cincinnati, Houston is obviously important as well. And then Michigan, Iowa, although that might be the most predictable out of all these. Um, where does your interest lie here? Like what's the second most important conference title game you'll be watching? Or maybe third most outside of SEC and Pac-12, obviously. Yeah, well, I think, it, you know, I'm just going to have to see what happens here in all of these. Um, and I'll be watching them closely. I mean, that's the fun thing about conference title weekend is – you just really get to dig into it, um, you know, and, and mm -hmm. basically, uh, I mean, Baylor, Oklahoma state is like, you know, the game to start the day that will, you know, kind of be front and center on my screen. And honestly, I don't even know if I'll have any of the other ones pulled up, uh, which is only Kent state, Northern Illinois. So probably not. Um, Damn, bro, no respect for the for conference <laughs> USA. <laughs> Or, or is that the Mac? I think it is the Mac. Yeah, it's the Mac. Um, yeah, but I, I, that's going to be a really good game. Um, I think a, a lot, and then I think that's the most competitive one, right? Uh, that's I feel the least confident in that result uh, after probably, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, after maybe the Pac-12, but. That's really interesting. Uh, and then just see if any chaos happens in Michigan and Cincinnati. I feel like people have both those programs penciled in right now, but um, who knows? You know, uh, mm -hmm. they're playing pretty good teams. So two of the Baker tests both Cincinnati. of them have faced. Cincinnati gets a home, like it's a literal home game for Cincinnati here. And I don't really understand why, because both teams are 8-0 in the conference. Do you know why that is? I have no idea. That's kind of annoying. Um, anyways, uh, Pitt and Wake Forest is also an interesting one. Might have, uh, well, not might. It definitely has some uh, possible New Year's Six implications. I know we touched on that in the last episode, thinking about the Ducks maybe squeaking into a New Year's Six game, even if we lose to Utah. Lose to Utah. Um, Utah State, San Diego State is actually going to be a good game that one i believe is the same time i don't know maybe i'm tripping uh oh it says noon so i guess check that one out at noon it's a good day to have two screens because like the there's always two games running at the same time throughout the day so uh yeah no no western kentucky at utsa moving the needle for you probably probably not <laughs> All right, let's pick these bad boys, as well as USC at Cal. Um, I, I might as well read off the picks as we conclude our Pac-12 uh, picks for the season. Reed, you saved face pretty well. Uh, we both went down bad at different points, but you're at 21 and 25, so you could go above 500 this week, um, potentially. Hot streak. My ass is stuck down at... <laughs> my ass is stuck down at 15 and 31. Um I tried so many different tactics to pick these <laughs> games, and I was essentially still just guessing, and it didn't work out very well for me. But, uh, I mean, that's what picking any game against the spread is, right? Um, all right, I'll, I'll give you first dibs. Where do you want to start? What do you want to pick? I want to pick... I want to start off... Let's not bury the lead here. Cal, USC. I'm going Cal. <laughs> All right. <laughs> is is Riley coaching um, this game? 
uh no there's no way yeah i kind of i kind of forgot about that for the past few days that their season isn't just over but yeah there's no way he's been doing like media tours and everything so i guess the rest you took cal yeah i'm taking you took cal right what's the spread on this cal minus four Cal minus four thank you um not a great spread i'm gonna take usc i'm gonna take usc plus four uh again a lot of energy around that program with with or without lincoln riley in the building yet uh i'll take usc took him last week against byu and it worked so why not definitely the more talented team um all right let's just let's just go down the list here uh baylor oklahoma state hoax are favored by five and a half this one's a jerry world um i think i'm gonna go with oklahoma state against the spread uh i think i'm gonna go i'm gonna go oklahoma state too uh no i'm gonna go baylor Ooh. okay okay i think it's any reasoning or just punch i just think it's gonna be close um i kind of feel like oklahoma state I, i think i don't know i feel like it's a close enough game and i feel like there's enough scenarios where oklahoma state wins and doesn't cover even where I'm gonna go with Baylor, if that makes sense. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Georgia minus six and a half against Bama in Atlanta. I mean, do I even have to say it? Georgia's winning this game by a lot of points. Where are you at? Yeah, I'm Georgia all the way. Um, Let's go. Uh, yeah, I hope Georgia just plasters them, honestly be so much fun um that one is at 1 p.m big cbs as usual michigan iowa michigan 11 point favorites that one's kind of interesting i think i'm gonna go iowa just because of the double digits but uh where do you fall on that one yeah i think i'll go iowa too i think michigan's good for sure um but yeah, I don't. I, I'm not confident in this at all, honestly. But I'm. I'll lean Michigan and just say, uh, or lean Iowa. I mean, uh, just because I think you know it could be closer than people think, and I feel like people kind of are totally. overreacting to the big result against Ohio State. I think Michigan's really good, but at the same time, it's like, you know, everyone wants to crown them as a number two and start to hype up. Oh, could they beat Georgia and all this? And it's like, you know. We should probably fall back a little bit to what we thought about this team for the first 10 weeks. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Winning they're in. So we'll see what happens there. Um, we move from that game, which has a total of 43 and a half, to Pitt and Wake Forest, which is at a total of 71 and a half. <laughs> uh, line is Pitt by a field goal. A little different. This one's in Charlotte. Uh what are you feeling on this one? I don't really have a good read on it. I don't either, really. I'll just ride with I'll ride with Kenny Pickett and I'll go Pitt. All right, I'll I'll just go with Wake Forest then <laughs> um, for a little bit of variance. Uh, it's not like I can do anything with these anyways. So, all right, not bad. Um, Did we pick? I don't Cincy think I'm missing Houston anything. or no. We might as well. I don't care. Oh yeah, I guess they're not power, power five, but um, 
Yeah, power six. Come on. <laughs> power six. Uh, Cincinnati minus ten and a half. I think I gotta go with Cincy in that one. Yeah, I'll go Cincy too. I think they think they want to make a statement. Um, oh, also just being at home too. Just saw on my phone that uh, it sounds like Marcus Freeman actually is gonna end up uh, staying and being the head coach at Notre Dame. So that's interesting. Wow. Damn, some breaking news. Which is that's pretty. Cool. Which is actually good, good for, for Cincy because Fickle. You know, a lot of people had linked him to the Notre Dame job, so including me, <laughs> <laughs> including us, <Yeah>. like <laughs> literally half an hour ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's interesting, and and probably good for Cincy. So good for them. I, I it would have been kind of sad if uh, they lost their head coach in the middle of their playoff run. I know, right? <laughs> um, especially to a team they already beat that, that <laughs> this year. Um. All right, sweet. Uh, that USC-Cal game, by the way, for all you sickos out there, please watch this game. Do the world a favor. Like, just for the meme, tune in. It is at, waiting for the page to load, uh, 8 o'clock p.m. on FS1. Just awesome. Um, all right, man. You want to touch on anything else before we're out of here? Maybe some playoff real quick? Uh, yeah, we can do some quick playoff if you want. Um, yeah, real quick. Is there, I'm just, I'm struggling to find a world in which Notre Dame actually gets in the playoff. I know they're number six right now. They're right there. If Cincinnati loses, I know that opens up a spot. If Oklahoma State loses, like, that opens up a spot too. But I mean, I just don't, I, I don't know. I, the committee puts a lot of stock in the conference title games, and the fact that Notre Dame doesn't play one doesn't say anything good about them. I mean, last year they were in one, got demolished, and the committee gave them the benefit of the doubt just for playing it, uh, whereas A&M got a little bit screwed by not even being able to play in one. Yeah. Do you see any way in which Notre Dame gets into this thing? Well, I don't know who else is in if they're not, is the thing. Uh, I mean, if you say that, um, you say since he loses, right, which, you know, there's not that high of a chance, but maybe like a 20% chance. Um, and, you know, even Georgia, Michigan, and Oklahoma State win, the options are going to be Notre Dame or you know, the Bama team that just lost to Georgia. And that's basically it. Um, the next option would, you know, would be Oregon if they were to win, probably. Um, which scary sounds ridiculous. I don't know. I mean, again, if they can give the benefit of the doubt to Notre Dame for losing a conference title game, can't they do the same for Alabama? Like, Alabama's 11 and 1 is better than Notre Dame's right now. But are we going to penalize Bama for losing another game? Yeah, I think And I mean, I've been a guy who's like said Bama won't get in with two losses, but maybe I have to retract that a little bit. I think that's a good point. I think that Bama uh I think as I mean, if it's close, Bama's 1000% in over Notre Dame, I think, especially with all the Brian Kelly stuff. Um maybe the Marcus Freeman move the committee views it a little differently and and kind of gives 
gives them the benefit of the doubt and, and doesn't penalize them because they're at least keeping some continuity. Um, yeah, it will be interesting. But, I mean, if Georgia, like, blows out Bama, I don't know. I don't even know. Well, okay, let, let's go down that a little bit. What if Georgia blows out Bama, Cincy loses, and, like, Baylor blows out Oklahoma State? Baylor in the playoff? Two lost Baylor, possibly? Um, or are you giving them no shot? Two lost Baylor? Yeah, I mean, Baylor could definitely get in this thing uh, in kind of a crazy way, but they absolutely could. I mean, if, you know, Georgia wins, Michigan wins, uh, even, <laughs> I mean, straight up, even if, like, you know, even if Georgia wins, Michigan wins, and Cincy wins, Baylor is going to have an argument against Notre Dame and Bama, uh, and they will have just beat Oklahoma State. Um, and you know, Bama under was that big. scenario you just yeah under that scenario you just described, uh, five thirty eight would give Baylor a fifty five percent chance and Bama thirty four percent. So. It's interesting. Obviously, you can't account for like blowouts or not, but right. I mean, it's interesting, man. It's real, real interesting. Um, all right, sweet. Any other thoughts you got before we round this out? Uh, no, not really. Uh, I'm excited for this big game. Uh, I think it's gonna be, you know, it'll be a fun one to see. Um, and excited to, you know, break it all down after this after this weekend and kind of. Uh, honestly, I mean, it's been a super fun season, but this routine, as much as I love college football, is, you know, kind of becomes a lot studying an opponent every single week for, for 13 weeks. So it's it'll be kind of fun to have a have a week to just talk about bigger things and not have a game, kind of like when a bye week comes up. Yeah, that's true. I'll also say, like, this is the most dialed into the entire landscape of college football I think I've ever been this season. Like, I know, I mean, before this year, I honest, and I mean, even d- earlier this episode, I couldn't tell you exactly which teams were in, like, the MAC or Conference USA. Like, they're hard to distinguish sometimes. I know I messed it up earlier, but I am, like, pretty sound in that. And, like, I'll willingly watch Group of Five football at this point. Um, and actually know some, at least something about like maybe the head coach or the program in general, or like a player on one of the teams. Um, so yeah, it's been a fun year and, uh, I hope we can cap it off and pack 12 play at least with a win. So let's do this thing for Reed Tingley and for me, Charlie Folks said, this has been the quacked out pod. Follow us on Twitter at DucksPod. Submit questions there. Do whatever you want. Uh, rate us five stars, please, and thanks on Apple. That would be great. And, yeah, go Ducks. Go Ducks.